Welcome to Conversations with Thought Leaders. Here's your host, David Webley. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to Conversations with Thought Leaders. It's Wednesday, the 14th of October, 8am here in, in Melbourne. And uh, I'm joined today by Caroline Henshaw and Commissoris uh, from the Mantle Group. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Good morning. Good stuff. So, um, Cons the CEO of the Mantle Group. Uh, Caroline's the head of people and culture. Uh, for those that don't know, the Mantle Group is the fastest growing technology service provider in Australia with a house of brands strategy, recently recognised in the top places to work in Australia. Um, the brands are CMD Solutions, Eliza, Digio and Kasner, covering cloud technology, AI, machine learning and design. be able to see each other's conversations, but firstly, how's everyone feeling today? We're great. Good morning, good morning, morning all. Great. Good, thanks. Fantastic, good morning. Everyone seems upbeat, so that's good news. So we are keeping the faith with so many people being based in Melbourne at the moment. So nice to see uh, there are better times to come. Um, before we get into it, I just briefly wanted to mention a couple of things. Firstly, our recruitment business, Granite Consulting. It's obviously a tumultuous time in, in the world of talent. Um, so feel free to get in touch if you want to talk about career trends. Um, we were delighted yesterday to be the principal sponsor for Go Girl Vic ICT for Women. Um, so we're passionate about gender equality. So I wanted to acknowledge and thanks, thank the team and the volunteers that, that took part in what was a successful event. And also we've got the Hiring Process Episode 3 webinar, which three of my colleagues, Adam Close, Mark Carter and Wayne Slattery are, are running. Um, finally, I wanted to um, mention our new learning platform, Nurture Drive. Please check us out on LinkedIn. And a, a big shout to, to Emily for put, putting that business live. And that's really around world-class learning experiences and using our community to help develop the content because we're passionate about Click for Vic. So we're really trying to help local businesses, which I think is going to be really important into 2021. Um, finally, it's Mental Health Month. Um, this series of CWTL. We're fundraising for Beyond Blue, so absolutely no obligation, but if you are in a position where you can donate a couple of dollars or whatever, it'd be greatly appreciated. All to Beyond Blue, they're doing so much good work um, and obviously mental health, it's always been really important, but uh, it's never been more important in, in these times. Good stuff. So we'll get into it. So firstly, as I said, good morning to you both. and. Um, you know, how have you both been coping? And, and maybe you can share a bit around your, your personal back, uh, backdrop. Caroline, over to you, maybe. Um, thanks, David. I'm coping okay, in, in given given what's going on with COVID and everything. I, you know, I think it's, um, for me, my children went back to school this week, so that was a really exciting time um, yeah. <laughs> for me. And well, although I, I must say, sorry. 
A lot of people will resonate with that, I'm sure. Yeah, although I, there was also, I must admit, they were very excited, but I'm, I, quite, I quite liked having them around as well. Um, and I, I certainly, I did enjoy the break over the last few months of not having to rush around and do lots of drop-offs and pick-ups. So that was probably the one silver lining for me. Um, but my, my background um, and, and I guess the way that I ended up at Mantle Group is, is, is obviously people and culture. Um, and so the last... Um, period of my life was very much working in, in large organisations. So my experience in people and culture has always been in, in, in big organisations and across all, all aspects of people and culture. So um, things like strategy, things like recruitment or, or talent acquisition, um, and then a lot of work on cultural change. And so before I came to Mantle Group, I was at a, at a large um, I'd probably describe it as, as quite an old-fashioned institution, a, a very large um, institution in Melbourne, and, and really trying to, to create um, significant cultural change and, and transform it. And um, it, was, it was a great opportunity. It was a really great experience, but it was also really hard. And um, one of the things while I was doing that and, and battling all the time to, to change legacy issues and, and to really try and build this culture and to change the way employees worked with their managers. There was, there was a lot of union involvement and it was quite an adversarial relationship. So there was a lot of change for me in my background there. Um, and I and, and met Con and, um, and Michael, who he started up Mantle Group. They found me on LinkedIn, which is, which is one of Con's um, secret talents is, is finding people on LinkedIn. He's, he's excellent at it and we use him in our recruitment team regularly. Um, and so um, they found me on LinkedIn and sent me a note just simply saying, you know, would I be interested? They're starting a, a new company and would I be interested in having a chat um, about culture? Yeah. And, and it was pretty much that at that point. And so I you know, love talking about culture, hence while I'm on this call as well. And um, it, was, it was a great opportunity to start having conversations. And so from there, I, I joined Mantle Group. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Con, if we can uh, get a bit of info around your background, and I guess I've been fortunate enough to know you since we set up Granite 11 years ago when you were running your other successful business. But yeah, over to you, Con. Yeah, thank you, David. Um, hi, everyone, first of all, and thanks for making the time and, and joining us this morning. Um, where do I start? I've, I've been in, um, in the IT world um, since, since um, obviously, university and, and my studies in computer science. But um, I grew up working uh, in my early years in, in the uh, large multinational type IT consulting businesses and, and did a fair bit of that um, in terms of, I call it the education campus in, in my time. And then um, in 2007, decided to, to go at it alone and started um, a company called Odyssey with um, my business partner who Caroline mentioned, Michael, Michael Bodo. And um, we went on this, we called it the learning journey over 10 years from, from an idea that we could um, create some levels of specialisation in, in the areas that we, we focused on in that business and, and grew that business to, it was around 150 odd people when we sold it to um, a large multinational and um, helped them integrate it um, post, post acquisition and, and grew the business actually through to almost 280 people at the time. So it was a, a huge, um, I call it a learning curve through trial and error um, as, as you're on the apprenticeship trying to learn what um, a business owner needs to do and, uh, and how a business needs to perform and, and, and the whole process of growing a company. So there was a, a great deal of lessons learned, but also um, a few things that we, tried, we did and we did right. And um, we tried to take a lot of the essence of that, uh, of that learning into to what is now Mandel Group with some of the other shareholders that formed this business. 
Yeah, fantastic. Is there anything in particular that stands out in terms of maybe something that went particularly well and then to, you know, juxtapose that with something that maybe didn't go entirely to plan? Is there anything that springs to mind? Yeah, we'll probably need a separate session on all that. But um, <laughs> I think, you know, we're here today and I think that, that one of the things that I think we, we really did right is, is the culture aspects. And, you know, it's one of the, I guess, our principal lessons learned, if you will, is to make sure in, in the context of establishing your business, you get the foundations right in people, culture and leadership. And um, if you can create an ecosystem where, where teaming is, um, is at its core and you live and breathe it on a day by day basis, then you know, that, that sets yourself up for, for the success when you start to look at other metrics of what, why businesses are successful. But um, you know, certainly we're here to talk about people and culture and I think it's been our fundamental uh, learning uh, lessons learnt, I guess, if you if you want to look at it from that perspective, on um, getting how to get that right day one, and to support not only a small business, you know, under fifty people, but also a, a large business around how we could scale it to to a thousand people, yeah. which is you know kind of the the, the charter for Mantle Group. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. So we're going to start talking about culture because obviously, as you said, we're talking about culture and and culture fueled growth. But um, before I throw to Caroline. Um, audience, can you share one word that springs to mind that you think helps build culture? Really interested to see what's top of mind for people on the whole subject of building culture, but see what comes through. Um, Danielle DiMartino was living the dream, by the way, so it's fantastic. Safety from Lauren, um, trust, trust again, team, trust. So some interesting inclusion. Emotional intelligence, empowerment, some fantastic insights there. Expectations. So while these keep coming through and everyone can see them as well, so transparency, diversity, change. Um, Caroline, can you maybe talk to the Mantle Group culture and, and how you've nurtured and developed it, please? Yeah, absolutely. Um, gee, it's nice seeing the notes coming through because, uh, to be honest, they're the, that's the, they're the words... Um, that we wanted to be able to describe our culture with when we set it up. And I think having the luxury of, of starting an organisation from scratch, um, we could be really clear about what we wanted to create with our culture. Um, and, and trust was probably the biggest word, certainly from my perspective, creating a culture of trust. And, you know, a culture at the end of the day is just the way we do things, really. It's just, it's the way people behave and it's the way they interact. And so for us, it was fundamentally creating a culture of, of trust um, and so to nurture it was to be really clear about what we wanted to achieve and what, and what it looked like. Um, and then working backwards, how do you create a culture of trust? And, and using all of the, um, I guess, the lessons that we collectively, um, as, a, as, a, as a leadership group, um, and as an organisation, had learnt from other places. So, so we set it up to be a principle-based organisation. And that's the fundamental part of it. And, and what we mean by that is we call our, we call our values. Every organisation has some sort of values. Usually we call them principles. Um, and, and, and that's for us was, was how we could define who we were and who, what our culture would be and how we would get to a point that everyone had that distinctive trust and inclusivity. So for us to, I mean, I describe it using the language of our principles. Um, but the way it works for us is thinking about 
how do we create trust through principles? And that means taking away things like policies because we had principles. So if we were defined by our principles and defined by our values, then we don't need a whole lot of rules. We don't need to be telling everyone what to do because we can trust that everyone understands and has, and has the agreed intentions or values that are similar to us. And that's what we've fundamentally built it on. Um, and there's a lot more detail I can go into, but. Yeah, but I just, I think it might be quite interesting as well. If you can just pull out a bit around, obviously creating the culture and building the trust from um, you know, a scale up environment. Can you speak to a bit any advice or techniques? Because maybe some people on, on this webinar this morning, they're in an environment where there's not a, as much trust as there could be, and they're looking to shift culture from you know, the old world to the new world. Can you offer any advice, counsel around strategies, techniques, tips? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the I mean the first thing to do, and I think most people I'm sure know this, but is is to literally find out what what the situation, the current situation is. And you know, people do a lot of engagement surveys or pulse surveys, but at the end of the day, it is it, you know you need to find out why why there's no trust, or so you really need to find out where you're at. What is your current culture? What are your current um, behaviours? Why you know where you are and where you want to be? And and then it's simply about working out, okay, if you, if you know there's not a lot of trust, why isn't there a lot of trust? Is it because people haven't done what they say they'll do? And it's usually pretty simple. We're really simple as, as adults in a workplace. It's usually because of a few fundamental behaviours or particular moments in time that where people have not done what you would have wanted in your culture. And so it's about actually looking at them, acknowledging them and then changing them and holding everyone to account. And it's, a, again, you know, someone on this call said it, it's setting expectations and so it's been really clearly defining it's the expectations of the culture. And then when people aren't living it, doing something about it. And I think they're the really, you know, it's the same with anything. It's, it's setting the expectations. And if people don't do it, um, there are repercussions and, and you need to do something about that. Yeah. And we might talk to principals a bit and, and ask Con for, for your opinion to start with. So I guess one of the examples I always think of with principal cultures is the 14 Amazon leadership principles and how everything's uh, driven from those, really. But can you talk a bit around principles, Con, and um, how that came to be? And obviously, you've gone from zero to 300 people in three years, which is, you know, rapid growth. So maybe you can talk about the principles and your values a bit. Yeah, sure. Uh, I think the, 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 there's an aspect of um, of it where you know early on in the process, and you know when when Caroline came up on board, and we kind of shared. And one of the other things that are really important um, to to try and enable where we want to be from a culture standpoint is you know our strategy, and you know and early early in the business, actually prior to the business, six months before, we put a, a really detailed game plan around what our strategic foundation is and where we want to be over over a time time frame and and for us it's it's a five-year um strategy map that we put together and um we use that as the i guess the 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 mechanism that um when everybody comes on board in this business we, we share that strategy and, and everyone tries we try to get everyone on board with it yep. and um if, if people don't agree with it that that's fine as well they, they have an option early on in their employment to either opt out or double down and commit to what we're here to do. And, you know, we always use that as our mechanism for making decisions, um, alignment in team around the way we think. And, and the underpinnings around that, you know, as Caroline talked around our culture and our principles are, are, are hugely important to, to ensure that, um, that that strategy can play out in the way we need it to. And, and we've got five principles um, and they very much align to, 
to how Caroline talked about um, our behaviours around trust, honesty, open communication and the like. Um, they communicate directly, in it together, make good choices, love what you do and make, make things better. And um, we always use that as the context of shaping the way we work as, as a team, as a group of organisations, um, but, but also as a collective group of people um, and we work towards those those five key principles day in day out. Yeah. And did you have five from day one, or is it is it something that's going to evolve over time? I'm just interested if one of your teams got an idea of you know another principle. Is there a, a process to consider that? I know. Um, yeah, yeah I mean, there's always options around. You know, people want to to include more and make them more detailed and like, but. Um, Behind each of our principles, we've got quite a very clear narrative and a description around what it means, um, what, what those words actually mean in, in detail. We've also got um, an underpinning around behaviour as well and how we expect people to behave and, and the attributes around that, like judgment, resilience, accountability, client-focused, bias to action, some empathy, influential leadership or others as well. So. To, together, they, they kind of form our principles. I don't think we'd want to change them um, on a frequent basis because yeah. it does shift the culture. And if we did want to shift the culture in some shape or form, then, then maybe some of the principles uh, may move as well. Fantastic. So um, recently you've been named one of the top 10 places to work. So congratulations. Um, I'll, I'll get you to take the lead on this one, Caroline, but I'm interested from the audience, is the one thing that you really value in a place to work? If so, what is it? Interested to know what, what people really value. What does make a great place to work? Respect. Respect, purpose, non-toxic, good communications. See, that's interesting. In the new, I wonder if this time last year, the answers would have been exactly the same, where people were going to more of a physical-based office environment. And now in a virtual world, people are really getting into the intrinsic connections. So, Caroline, so as I said, congratulations on the top 10 places to work. What do you attribute that to and what do you, what do you all do differently? Oh, thank you. Um, and it was, it was so lovely to get that news, especially during COVID, to be honest. Um, it was really, really nice for us. So, I think we attribute to it to being really clear about who we are and setting our team's expectations when we hire people. So we talked about being principle-based. The other thing, you know, that we that we really focused on is the importance, you know, one of the things I think that we truly believe is it's when you're a small startup, people love working there and there's some reasons why people, and there's a lot of reasons why people, you know, are generally more engaged in very small companies. And so what we tried to do is as we grew, really understand what it is that's amazing about small companies and keep that with us. And as we scale up, be able to, to, con to continue to have what's great about a very small company. And one of the things I, that, that I believe is great about small companies is the individual employment experience. So every person has a relationship with their CEO and, and, and the leadership team, and they make work fit with their life. They have a personal experience. So, you know, they may be going through family situation and their work works for them. And often what happens when you work at a larger organisation is it becomes very one size fits all. And, um, and that's a you know, bit of a simplified, simplified explanation, but that's really what happens. And so for us, we worked really hard and at how do you scale an organisation? How do you get bigger? 
but every person continues to have this individualized experience. And so we built in some, we built in um, something that we call my ideal, but we built in an, an, an individual approach, which is every person basically has an individual experience. They talk to their CEO and myself um, every year on their work anniversary. Obviously they talk to us a lot more than that, but they have a carved out time where we talk about for the next 12 months, what is it that's, that you need? What is it that, that is right for you? And how do we change work? How do we do whatever it is you need from us? And so from that, having an individual experience I think has been really important that when we went through a great place to work and, they, and, and everyone was asked these questions, Every single person, I think I can comfortably say, because our results were really good, was work suits them. They're getting what they need from it and what they need is different. And so there's that part of it. Um, and then there's the, there's the other part, which is, you know, if we be honest, really, really important that we've, we've hired people that people like to work with. People like to work with nice people. And it's as simple as that. And it's, and it's a really important thing for us that when we're hiring for cultural fit, you know, and I, there's certain language I won't use on this call, but we don't hire people who aren't nice is the, be, is the best way to say it. And so people, people like working with their colleagues. That's just the way um, they do. It's good if you get on with each other, right? Completely. And I think for us as a technology company, one of the most important things for our team was to work with people that they respect as well from a, from a skills perspective. So again, and, and I know we're going to talk about recruitment, it was keeping those standards up. So there's a, there's a few different things for us, but it was very much around the individual experience and, and, um, and, and scaling that up. Yeah. But Con, I might get you just to talk about the House of Brand strategy, because it strikes me that and maybe you can talk through, you know, broad overview of the different businesses, because that presumably creates a bit more of an intimate experience, I guess, from a, a team member perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it kind of gets back to part of the design of um, Mantle Group very early on in, in the cycle around um, you know, with, with culture as well. It, it, they're all sort of intrinsically tied together, but um, you know, for us to scale and scale hard, we, we, need, we needed to build this business to support a team of three to 400 very quickly. So part of our design was to think through that, you know, part of maintaining culture and being incredibly consistent with the way, you know, not only with what we say, but also with what we do, we needed a way that um, we could um, maintain a very flat structure in the organisation but give the team meaning around what they do. And um, the House of, Brand, House of Brand strategy was formed um, around, around that concept. And we wanted to make sure that um, we didn't build a lot of hierarchy, a, a lesson learned out of the previous business, I guess, is you know, we, once we sort of reached that team of 150 mark, we started to see some, um, some connectivity in the organization break. And, um, and there's actually, um, there's a theory around that Robin Dunbar's um, kind of posits that, you know, individuals um, with um, relationships greater than 150 start to break down. So we found that one, the team being a team of 150 was probably the, the maximum we wanted to have in, in an area of focus. So the House of Brands really ties to that where we try and break up a very large organisation into quite a flat um, structure with um, strong leadership wrapped around teams that have very clear purpose and um and our brands to date are really focusing on that so as you as you alluded to earlier on an example um, is digio that that team's around 140 um as, as a collective group that focus on digital and digital transformation um will look to um 
to break break aspects of of Digio over time. And then there's a really good example that we're going to launch a design business as a result of some of the work that that um, Pat's done within that business. So. So breaking, um, using House of Brand strategy gives us a very um, um, flexible operating model where we can grow and grow quickly the, the organisation, but um, without putting too much pressure on um, process, um, culture in particular, and allowing teams to stay focused um, and, and wrapped around um, core leadership that, that we have around each brand with the CEO and the CTO leading each Fantastic. And I'll just do a quick reminder. We've obviously got the Q&A function. We've got plenty of time for questions at the end. So feel free to send them through now as and when you think about them. Uh, we've got amazing chat happening, but if we can get some Q&A going on as well. And as I say, as soon as you think of it, no such thing as a bad question, put it through there. So we're going to talk about speed of growth. And I'm going to throw this one to you first, Con. And I'm not talking about, I know you're a, a grassroots motorsports supporter in Victoria. I'm not talking about fast in that context but what are some of the dangers in growing too fast and and what to look out for i suppose yeah i'll look um sometimes yeah, that, that whole uh, um, balance between the demand that we have that's generated in from the market and also how do we how do we get good quality um, um and, and getting the right team together and Caroline alluded to that you know we, we need to hire for culture culture first and we do a lot of our Part of our interview cycle we really put emphasis on the, the cultural aspects of the business and that's one of the biggest areas of um of complexity in, in our business that you know when when we want to grow and grow fast and many times that we grow ahead of the demand curve um to to ensure that um we, we can go from zero to 300 in three years which is kind of what we've achieved we put a lot of emphasis on 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 that that cycle around how do we improve our our process from initial conversation we have with someone in the talent in, in the market for talent and and getting them on board so that that's an area of complexity um, what we tried to do very early is all our infrastructure in the organization around operations finance marketing people and culture talent acquisition is we invested in that very heavily early on to support the, the growth trajectory that we needed um, so that if we didn't have resistance internally, um, that that stopped um, the, the the flow of, of of growth that we were chasing as well. And so, um, so that that were probably the two two or three key areas that we put an emphasis on early on to avoid um, um, cracks, I guess, in in the business. Yeah, fantastic. And obviously, COVID's changed anything in the world. And as we were speaking uh, last week, you know, in, in some respects, whilst COVID has been obviously a human tragedy, it's from a technology point of view, it's been an accelerator really. Um, but I am interested and I'll ask you, you first, Caroline. So, you know, COVID has led to uh, a largely remote working world for service providers such as ourselves. Um, can you talk to us a bit about remote, remote working, culture, how you've managed it? Yeah, absolutely. And it's challenging. You know, I think it's really challenging. I think one of the things for us, you know, we talked about it with our culture um, is 
our, our team really like each other. So they're very social, like a lot of your companies, I suspect. And, um, and so a lot of what was attractive about us as an organisation is, is your colleagues and spending, spending time with them. And um, for us, again, as a, as a consulting business, a lot, of our, a lot of our people are at client site. So a lot of people are at client site and they would come back to our Melbourne and Sydney offices and, and they would gravitate there. We'd have, a, we'd have a lot of social things there. We'd have a lot of meetings there. Um, and so people loved the offices, quite frankly. And they were what you would expect from a tech company, you know, ping pong tables and, and all sorts of things happening there. And so, you know, and, and a lot of craft beer. And so everyone, you know, they, they loved the offices. And so moving to remote working was challenging. Um, and it was challenging, you know, for everyone, um, for our team, you know, there was, there was a moment of saying there's so much of our culture that seems to be tied up in being together what does this do to us? What does this do to our identity? Um, and it was really interesting. And I think we had, you know, we've set our culture up as, as talking about a culture of trust. One of the other things is, is our team take great responsibility for doing things. So in some organisations, I think um, often things like social events, if I be honest, falls to the person in my role. Um, and I don't, you know, I'm, I'm married with older kids. I'm, I'm not doing all the social events. I'm not the target audience. I'm not the person who should be organising the social events. And I'm not. Our team do. And so when COVID happened, the team really, really rallied together. Um, and they organised a lot of social events and, and, and a lot, and a lot of online social events. So we moved to that. Um, and, and then we set in a lot of, play, a lot of, lot of steps in place around... Um, around mental health and making sure the team is okay. And there was a number of things that we set up as well to, to make sure that, that we looked after the team. But, but culturally, on, you know, we really found our feet. And, and I think one of the really positive things that comes out of this is for us, because we are very driven by clients and at client site, it's always been really challenging to sometimes have the team work remote, people that wanted to work from home. It's very driven by what the clients wanted. And so for this, it's really set a level playing field of everyone. Everyone's at home. And I think it's really helped some of potentially, you know, our clients that maybe questioned whether they were comfortable with people working from home. It's really changed that for them. So it's actually that part has been a blessing, I think, for some of our team. Um, that said, a lot of them are desperate to get back to the office and our team in Sydney are gradually going back into the office and, gee, they love it. Yeah. What do you think, Con, what do you think the future might look like with the blend of remote working, office working? I'm hearing a lot of people saying that, you know, having an office is going to be seen as a point of differentiation for a hiring strategy in the future, for example, because people like that human connection, right? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it all evolves post-COVID and, and once vaccines sort of mass deployed globally, if you will, and then what and what it is. But I suspect we'll, we'll have um, we'll have the remote working and working from home as a as as the new normal. And I think corporate Australia, if I just focus in on on, on our on our um, area. Um, I, th I think they've learnt that we can still do business um, remotely and have the team distributed. Um, productivity is still there. We don't need to be physically uh, in an office, in a client office, uh, working on their equipment to show value. Um, so I think we've, we've done a really good job in proof pointing that, you know, um, partners, their employees, um, the community around a, a, a company, for example, can, can still deliver value in, um, in, a, in a remote working function. I think there will always, I think there'll be an office. Um, it'd be interesting to see what an office looks like and how it's used in the future. 
um, I think we'll see that and there'll be a hybrid in, in and around it. And, and Caroline's doing a lot of work in and around what the future workplace can look like uh, in the future and, and, using, and using an office as a, as a medium to, to communicate, collaborate, um, spend time together as opposed to just working in, in, on, an, on a desk in an office. And, and, and I think we'll see, we'll see a different way on how we leverage the office in, in the future beyond, um, beyond COVID. Yeah, it's going to be quite interesting. I see um, the CEO of Google has said that remote working, you're basically trading on established um, relationship equity. And certainly we've noticed there's a difference between getting a team that know each other and have met face to face to move to virtual versus people who've never met each other. That's a different set of challenges moving to a virtual uh, world. Have you noticed any difference between those two scenarios? Maybe uh, Caroline, I can throw it to you first. Not as much as I thought. And I, I mean, we've hired quite a few people now um, during COVID, so people that have never met their, you know, other people in, in, um, in person. And we've had a number of people start with clients that they've, they've never met the clients. So I think initially, absolutely, there was some initial awkwardness, if we be honest. Um, and it's really gone now. And we have spent, I think you have to spend a lot of time making sure you have incidental, conversa incidental conversations. So, you know, you lose the small talk with with a lot of video calls and i think one of the things that we've, we've really tried to do especially with new team members is make sure we find time to get to know them as people and to have chats and just to do that which is really really important to to, to get people involved in an organization and make them feel like they have relationships um, one of the things that i think has been actually beneficial from it though is we have a sydney and melbourne office and a much bigger presence in melbourne and i think by everyone being on video conferences it's also given everyone a bit more of a level playing field so as opposed to often being kind of the only person in sydney alone on the video conference when everyone is in the room together in melbourne everyone's at home and i think in some ways it's, it's actually enabled some people to talk more and get to know their colleagues in a different way yeah and connor as the ceo of the business and and i guess for many of the people on uh, joining us this morning in leadership roles what advice can you give around you know the fact you're not getting the tea coffee conversations the lift conversations con corridor conversations i mean i was talking to the ceo of a hotel chain the other day and he said he really misses sort of being able to take the temperature of the business by walking around yeah i feel that too i really enjoyed you know a whiteboard and and bringing teams together and um and collaborating that way so i miss it dearly but you know there's nothing wrong with uh, this old thing it's called a phone yeah and picking it up and dialing someone and just saying hello is, uh, is, is a really important tool as well and doesn't have to be via video conference and, and spending, um, spending time in front of a laptop. You can use your phone and just dial someone and, and, and do the basics like, hi, how are you? How are you feeling? Um, are you okay? Uh, are really important things, um, important elements of building conversation, you know, through conversation is building, building that trust and keeping connected with people. So, so that's important and I think um, we'll probably see once, once um, in Melbourne, once we get some restrictions lifted, that there might be some hubs in different parts of, of Melbourne, as an example, where smaller teams can meet and um, whether it's at a park or at a local cafe to, to engage and, and, build, um, and build their relationships that way as well. So um, it's not easy, but it, it really, it's up to everyone in the organisation at an individual level to, to, to at least take um, some, some form of commitment to engaging uh, other parts of uh, of your team and and, um, and and communicating really, and that's what we've put a, a huge emphasis off 
of in, in the last sort of six months is amplifying comms in the organisation through as many different vehicles as we possibly can to keep people connected. Yeah, and I certainly think the outdoor meetings, walking meetings, like in between prescriptions, we were doing, you know, groups of under 10, meeting in a park, doing some walking meetings. And uh, I was reflecting actually the other day that really all the healthy people are going outside now and all the people who were outside smoking have now got to go inside. So it shows what a topsy-turvy world it's been, really. But, yeah, um, it's a different dynamic, but... Um, yeah. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're humans are a curious um, species, right? So we do, do find new ways of working. And yeah. you now I roll back in March, there was a, quite a few sleepless nights uh, on the back of that Grand Prix weekend when the world um, changed dramatically. And um, we didn't know if Mandelbrot was going to survive in three months, let alone six. And um, but um, yeah, I'm very, I'm very thankful personally that we've got a really great leadership team and. Um, you know, we rewired ourselves to focus on the basics of, you know, to trying to keep um, keep this business alive. And, 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 and the fundamental was really open, honest communication, not only within the leadership team that we have here at, here at Mantle Group, but the 280 people that work in there. And, um, and that was a hugely important um, sort of dynamic to, to managing the, yeah. uh, the ebbs and flows of what, what's occurred in 2020. Yeah, and I certainly appreciated some advice and counsel you gave me just after the Grand Prix, so, so that helped me for sure, so thank you. So it's a mental health month, as we spoke about. So can we talk a bit about mental health, um, resilience, how you drive that through the organisation? Um, Caroline, I'll ask you to, to go first, please. Yeah, I mean, we've always been, I think, really passionate about mental health. So so for our team, we we provide unlimited um, sick leave or health leave, So and, and that encompasses... You know, we've always thought it's important as an organisation not just to celebrate the good times with people, but to be there when when times are tough. Um, and and it's certainly you know it, people 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 respect you for doing that. I think. And so for us, we provide um, yeah unlimited sick leave, and, and that continues. Um, and the other thing for us is really around supporting the team and seeing how they're going at the moment. So at in a few minutes at 8.45 every Wednesday morning, our team have, uh, they do the Resilience Project. So I don't know if many people are familiar with the Resilience Project, but um, I, I you know, think they're fantastic. And they just do these little short micro videos for the team about empathy, gratitude, resilience. Um, and the team have found that fantastic. So we do that every Wednesday together as, a, as an online group. Um, and really just checking in on people. So one of the things that worried me early on was, was people who would get lost. You know, we have a number of people who will bring up that they've got mental health issues, that they're not coping, they'll talk to a colleague. But we also have a lot of people who I, who I worried wouldn't and, and wouldn't say anything and they would just, we wouldn't know. So um, we, we spent a lot of time thinking about how do we make sure that every single person in our team is reached, you know, is spoken to at least regularly to find out how they're, you know, if they're okay. And, and we've got a, um, a structure called people guides, which is which is similar to mentors or, or managers to a certain extent. So every every person must check in with their guidees every week at least and see how they're going. And so we just put some structures in place to make sure, you know, we, everyone was being checked in on. Um, every Friday, the team fills in a, an online, how are you going? How are you feeling? Um, and they literally just have to click on a different emoji. And so if anyone clicks on the one that has the head exploding one, um, that... Uh, on the Monday, you know, they get a call from someone in my team, there's three of us in our team, and, and we just follow them up to see why their head's exploding. And, um, and we just do things like, you know, send them flowers or check in and make sure they're okay. So 
we've spent a lot of um, thought around supporting the team. And I think the biggest thing too is people, including the leadership team, sharing stories. We use Slack, which, you know, has there's some great things about Slack and, and people, our team is very engaged with it. People will share stories when they're not doing well. And I think that's the best thing is people, it's okay to not be okay. And so that's where, I, you know, we've, we've, we've developed that and our leadership team themselves will say, I'm having a bad week. I'm, you know, this is what I'm doing. Um, and so we do all that sort of stuff. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, we found um, probably our most successful team thing we do is a team walking meeting on a Monday afternoon, which is not talking about business. We pick a random subject, whether it's on a TV shows you liked as a child or whatever it might be. Um, what's for dinner that night and just have a bit of fun, really, and just walk around your block or, you know, up and down your balcony or whatever you want to do, really. So that's been successful for us. So I'm going to talk a bit about customers because obviously customers are very important. Um, Con, maybe you can um, kick off with this one. So how do customers face into your culture? And have you had to think about adjusting any aspects of your culture to align with customer requirements? Yeah, firstly, no, we, we don't, we won't adjust our culture for any clients that we have. I mean, we are who we are and it's, um, if, um, if a client likes the way we, we operate as an organization, um, you know, at a, at a technical solutions level to, to how we lead the business, then, then that's perfect. And then that's when, you know, real partnerships happen between Mandel Group and, and its clients. Um, but um, we've, we operate at different levels and, you know, particularly post COVID, we've, we've found a lot, a lot more um, focusing in on how we can see, um, I guess, bi-directionally help each other out. And there's examples of um, a client um, in, in a telco business where at a, at a executive level, we're now engaging, you know, Caroline's getting involved as well to sort of look at how, how cultures can operate together and add value up and above just providing a service or a solution to a client. So we're trying to get, um, we're, we're trying to build our relationships to become deeper and, and more immersed with our clients so that it's not just providing an outcome where we're really trying to focus in on what, what the objectives are of the client at a, at a business strategy standpoint and, um, and then bring in all aspects of our business. And, and as you allude to our culture and how we, the way we, run our business it can can hopefully influence how how our clients um implement some of their programs internally as well and um, that's the i think that's a really exciting part post COVID is that the connectivity with our clients um and the immersion that we have with them is, is, is moving moving in the right direction for us i guess yeah and i guess that's really i see as you know consulting businesses it's it's miles away from that transactional relationship getting deeper. And I think Richard Branson famously said years ago, you know, people first, customers second, shareholders third. Um, so, you know, I do think, um, you know, it's important to sort of hold the line and be authentic and, and true to yourselves. Caroline, can you maybe add a bit around some of the work that you'd be doing with customers? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting one, actually. I've started speaking to more and more of our customers uh, just around culture and things that we're doing um, and, and just, you know, things that, that might be of interest to them as well. So there's, a, there's, there's really just shared discussions and there's lots of things I can learn from, from our customers as well, but really talking about some of the things that we do. Um, and because even, even simple things like social events, we invite our customers along to, and, 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 and I think they get a feel for our culture. And so often on the back of that, I'll, you know, I'll have a chat to them about how, what we're doing. And, and, and a lot of our customers are a lot bigger than us. 
So it's about how can they change things? You know, what can they do? What small things can they do that might change their culture just a little bit um, and, and go through that? And then, and then for others, it's about org design and how can they, you know, set up, set up their organisational structure in, in a way that, again, promotes trust and things like that. So um, there's a number of conversations and, and they're, you know, they're really great conversations to have. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, that customer engagement on events, one of our most popular events, we've done it, well, I don't think we'll be able to do it this year, but we've done it for the last, uh, in fact, I'm sure we won't be able to do it this year, unfortunately, was an annual Lawn Bowls barbecue. And uh, we've done it for, well, best part of 10 years in a row now, but um, maybe 2021 we'll do it. And just really getting that engagement. And I think people like to see that authentic side to the business. And, you know, I think you've got to be prepared to do basically a lot of stuff that's non-revenue generating to show authenticity with your community, right? Yeah, absolutely. I agree. So, I'm going to talk about onboarding and I've just got a final um, question for the, for, the, for the chat group as well. So we're going to talk about how you use your principles, values in the hiring process. And I'm interested to know from the audience, how many of you either as a hiring manager or looking for work have genuinely experienced values-based recruitment. I know a lot of people talk about behavioral-based interviewing, but is it genuine? Is it quite often just a sort of tick-in-the-box exercise? So if anyone can um, hire for attitudes, not aptitudes. So, you know, hiring the person. Any other comments around values-based recruitment and experiences with that? Still coming through. Another hiring for attitudes. It's not all about the skills. But maybe, um, yeah, maybe Caroline, you can you can start us off on this while it comes through. We're getting lots of hiring for attitude, not skills. Obviously, some skills are required. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, it's in some ways because we are so clear about our principles, and Con also mentioned our attributes, which which sit next to that in terms of. of what success looks like, it does make it easier because we're really, really clear about and we're really clear about um, the skills and the attitudes that, that work really well for us. So for the recruitment team, um, we have four recruiters and um, they really know what, what we're looking for in terms of the type of people. Now that said though, very, very different types of people, very, very diverse backgrounds, but, but need to be similar in terms of principle and, and value aligned. So. You know, it's, it's, it makes it easier from that perspective. What makes it really, really hard is I completely agree with all those comments around um, hire for attitude, you know, not skills. Um, and the challenge, you know, if we'd be honest in technology is, is, you know, people have to have a certain amount of skills, certainly better skills than me in technology. And so we do, you know, there's, there's a base that people need to have um, and experience. And as a consultancy, they need to have a certain level of experience. So one of the things for us that, that we're just kicking off is actually really, really starting to look at how we train people more. You know, they're not going to be fully formed and that's okay. We've always had an internship for, for female talent. And now we're um, also looking to, to supplement that so that we can actually train people on AWS or Google and, and working in partnerships with those businesses. So that we can actually upskill people who may not have you know the right technologies but have got the right attitude um, and and i guess the final thing is is the cultural interview which for us you know that that cultural interview is the decider people you know no one will come and work for us if they're not the right cultural fit no matter how amazing they are from a technology perspective 
Fantastic. We're going to get through a few questions and we'll also, I encourage you all to connect with Caroline and Con on LinkedIn to continue the conversations. But first things, uh, finally, Con, just give us a quick 30 seconds on 2021. <coughs> what would it look like in an ideal world? Sorry, can you ask that question again, David? Um, 2021 for the Mantle Group. What would yep. it look like in an ideal world? Um, I think we're, we're we're very clear on what we want to do in the next um, in the next nine months, if you if you will. We're we're going to add two to three brands to our business uh, during that time. So hopefully early next year we um, we launch those brands into some new areas as part of our growth strategy. Um, our growth strategy is centered around not only um, incubating new brands from within, but also acquisitions as well, which is. You know, if we talk about lessons learned, is, a, is another area as well. But I'm, I'm pretty excited uh, in, in, in moving into the new year in terms of how the world will evolve um, as part of this new normal. And, um, and uh, I think it's exciting for, for us as a business as well in the way uh, around shaping and reshaping how we work, how we engage with our team as a collective group, but also how we engage in the market. So um, I'm excited that we're, we're turning, um, turning the tide and, and focusing in growth mode. Um, I think even though there's some concerns around economic conditions and, and how the world's evolving um, post-COVID, the flip side is, um, and we've seen it historically, on the back of um, big shake-ups shake in economic conditions globally that um, we, we do have a run with technology. And I think Mantle Group's well-centred well with its, um, its go-to-market solutions, its brands on, on um, continuing its growth trajectory and adding value into the market. Fantastic. So we'll go through a few questions. We've got time for a few here. So um, the first one's for you, Caroline. So bad eggs, so difficult stakeholders, we'll call that. What advice can you give people for working with, um, you know, maybe challenging individuals? Um, I'm trying to think if the question is of difficult employees that, that maybe shouldn't be working there or different, difficult colleagues. I'll take it as either. I, I think, I mean, my, my response is, well, well don't, but I, that's probably not a very helpful response. So dealing with difficult stakeholders is, is you know, my view is, is understanding why they're difficult and understanding why they're difficult and what the problem is and, and whether, you know, whether you can be aligned on values, whether you can work with them and, and what your common ground is basically. And, and finding, you know, my view is most people that are difficult um, are difficult because something else is going on for them or they don't understand the benefit in what you're talking to. So it's changing your style and finding, finding what their problem is and helping them fix their problem. Yeah. Um, and working with them. Because I do think, you know, to your point, putting yourself in the other person's shoes, you don't know what they're going through outside of work or inside of work, and, you know, they could have battles of their own that, that they're fighting, of course. Um, so Lee wonders, what are some of the key attributes you look for when engaging a new team member? Throw this one to Con, as you're the uh, expert finding people on LinkedIn, we're told. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I think I led into it around our attributes around you know what what sort of behaviours and 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 the style of an individual and it kind of um, for us it's that sort of customer focus you know focusing on the client um, making good judgment having some resilience and you know in the in the consulting world it is tough you know you've got to be prepared to be very flexible uh, in in the in the way you work. Um, and, and I think one of the fundamentals is accountability, being able to put your hand up and, and own things in the business, whether they're in your patch or not. You know, we're in it together as one of our principles to, to make sure um, we move forward. So, 
Um, it's really sort of ticking the boxes around our, our cultural attributes and, and our principles and, and finding the right people that we think we can work together and, and, and genuinely want to work together. Fantastic. Um, Caroline, this one for you then. So Newey says, or asks rather, um, do you have tangible metrics or a data centre metric um, for, for when hiring for cultural fit? Or are your choices made by instinct or maybe a bit of the bo bit of both? Yeah, it's a it's a really good question. It's a bit of both, to be honest. We we've got some, um, and it's always a work in progress because gee, it's hard, you know, really, really um, doing it. So yeah, it's 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 as much as possible bringing things back metrics wise to our principles. We've done quite a lot of talent profiling around um, how people, why people are successful, and the types of backgrounds, types of experiences, the attributes that we can pick up during interviewing, what makes them successful, and then we've we've moved that into our interview guides and our process. So um, there is there is much process and data behind it as there can be, but honestly, it's also about having really good interviewers that know what they're looking for. Yeah. Okay. And along the same lines, uh, so I'll throw to you again, Caroline. So Gary Winkle, good morning, Gary says. As you continue to grow with more people, more customers, do you think there'll be significant challenges in holding to your principles? And what are you sort of working through to, you know, to hold the line on them? Yeah, Gary, it's a really good question. Um, and it's always been the thing, I think, in the back of our mind is, you know, how do you scale up a principle-based organisation? Because a lot of companies start this way. And then as they hit about 100 they put in processes and change things. So for us, yes, there will be challenges, but we're, I think we're pretty well prepared for them. Um, and I think going through COVID was probably the best way to cement to us our level of comfort with them. It's easy to be principle-based when times are good. And to be quite frank, times have been pretty good for us until COVID. And then COVID hit and it was a stressful time. It was, you know, we could have made a lot of different decisions, approaches, um, and watching our organisation stay true to our principles, um, particularly in it together, was an extraordinary thing. And it really just, it showed, it showed how strong our principles are in our culture. Um, and I think having the house of brands, you know, just to be really a quick answer, being able to keep each brand to sort of 150 and really keep everything small, it, it does enable us to scale up with this principle-based organisation. But there's a lot of work and a lot of thought that goes in to making sure that we can scale it. It's, it's not easy, but we are committed to, to, to continuing to be principle-based this way. Fantastic. And I might throw it to you, Con, for a couple of closing comments. We're nearly out of time. Sure. So just around uh, principles. And I guess with um, when I talk of principles, I really see the, uh, the Ray Dalio book of principles. And, and in terms of, you know, it's a credit to you, and I know you're very much a team, because uh, I think Warren Buffett said, when the tide goes out, you see he's wearing swimming trunks. So, you know, you must be pleased with how, you know, in such a tough year, how the business has responded, Con. Yeah, look, um, like I said, you know, we, we've had to change, you know, from March through to July, our business shifted a lot. And um, I think Caroline sort of um, alluded to a few things that we had to do differently. But you know, we went we went back to our core basics around why we exist and and used our principles as the as the decision making process to drive um, our business and it and it really focused on how do we stay focused on our existing clients and and focus on adding value, being productive, um, immersing ourselves in terms of um, keeping them um, in in a place where we can we can help them through COVID as well because it's a it's that that um, 
ends up being that win-win relationship during tough times. But also the flip side is, you know, really focusing in on our team. And you know, Caroline talked about um, our talent acquisition team and, and the um, and the people and culture team. We redirected them on purely you know, team care initiatives. And um, Caroline and Michael really stepped um, stepped up in an operational sense to make sure that some of the core indicators of our business to make sure we survive this process um, put a put a really uh, star focus on that and and strategy and, and growth took a back seat for, for that period of time until we understood how the world was going to evolve and and as we got closer to that june july period um it, it really started you know we started to see a shift you know customer uh, client confidence come back and then uh, um that's where strategy come back into business planning and, and really focusing on what what the next three and six months look like and um, and just recently, we've just finished our FY twenty one plan, which is you know forecasting twelve months. So um, it's a, it was a, a great um, a great way to see how leadership um, can can shift and, and and redirect its priorities, but but stay core to, to who we are and, and being true uh, through through our principles as well. So it was um, fascinating and and uh, quite rewarding to watch that play out over the last six months, no matter how complex it was. And it's amazing to listen and, and spend time speaking with you both this morning. It's inspirational and, and you know, very genuine as well, which uh, certainly resonates well. And, and again, as a, a business started in Melbourne, click for Vic. We've got to all support Victorian businesses. And just a reminder, we're sponsor, uh, supporting Beyond Blue for this series. So no obligation. But if you do have a couple of dollars spare for the fundraising or to Beyond Blue because it's Mental Health Month, we're out of time. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us today. Con and Caroline, really appreciate your time and speaking to you both. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Con and Caroline, see you next time. Thank, Thank you so you. much. This episode of Conversations with Thought Leaders was brought to you by Granite Consulting. To stay up to date with future episodes or access the library of past episodes, register for future events and other valuable resources, follow the Conversations with Thought Leaders LinkedIn page or visit the website at www.cwtleaders.com.